Father, we praise you and we honor you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you so much that we're never a disappointment in your eyes. Now, that's an amazing thing because we disappoint everybody at some point in time, but we never disappoint you. You see, disappointment is failed expectations or unmet expectations. But because you're omniscient, you can see the beginning and the end all at the same time. You know what we're going to do. You know what we're capable of. I thank you, Father, for the sweet Holy Spirit who is there to be our helper, to lead us into truth and righteousness, to lead us into making gracious decisions. I thank you, Father, that the scriptures say that we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak. That means we have time to process. Not only that, but we have time to listen. We have time to listen to what? The Holy Spirit. As we listen to him, we will find that Life really changes because the Holy Spirit is always right. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you ready for the word this morning? I need to lay a little bit of a foundation as I minister this word. Jesus will eventually show up. He sure will. He's in all of our messages. But the thing that I see troubling most people whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, is what I've been saying and talking about for years. Condemnation. Sometimes that can sound like a broken record, but when that goes away, so will the message of no more condemnation. That will go away as well. But the truth of the matter is, it's very rampant. It's very prevalent out there. And I don't like it because I see what it does to people's lives. I see how it destroys families. I see how it destroys marriages. Uh, I see how it destroys individuals. There's only one thing that makes condemnation go away, and that is the revelation that God has nothing against us. He has nothing against us. He holds nothing against us. And so I have a tendency to side with him. You can say whatever you want to say. I have a tendency to side with the Father, because again, he's always right. So a few weeks ago, I began a series a series that I'm calling By One Sacrifice, Our Perfection in Christ. And I believe in the depths of my heart that this is probably one of the most important series I have ever ministered in my life. Important from the standpoint that there are so many believers that cannot identify with that language, the language that they are perfect in Christ. There are so many believers that cannot embrace the biblical truths and the affirmations that validate their perfection in Christ. As a result, like Mephibosheth from the Old Testament, Jonathan's son, many of these new covenant creations live their entire lives in a spiritual land called Lodabar, crippled in their minds, therefore crippled in their walk and crippled in their talk. And they live below the threshold of the promises of yes and amen. That's God's promises to us. They live below the threshold of the promises of green pastures and gentle whispers. The word Lodabar comes from a town. Here's what Lodabar means. It means no pasture, no word, no communication. It's a dry place. It's an awful place to live. And guess who lived there? 
Mephibosheth lived there. That's where he lived. In other words, it's a desolate place. Nothing green grows there. It's a place where you live, but you never experience life. There's a difference in those two things. It's a lonely place. It's a hard place. Crippled in their minds, therefore crippled in their walk. A place where many believers feel in their heart, they feel kind of exiled in a way. Exiled from the new covenant reality that the king has called them to dine continuously at his table, not because they deserve it. But I'll tell you why, it's because the king is good. That's what King David did. He couldn't sleep one night. He said, surely there must be somebody left from the household of Saul, Jonathan. There's got to be a family member somewhere. Can you imagine that dialogue? Two o'clock in the morning, wakes up one of the guards. Is there anybody left? I feel like blessing somebody. See, our King Jesus never sleeps. And he always feels like blessing somebody. And David said, there's got to be somebody left. And somebody said, well, there's this one dude, but he lives in Lodabar. And David said, go get him. Go get him. And when he brought Mephibosheth to that stately palace, one of the first things out of his mouth was, why do you look upon me like this with favor? He said, I'm a dead dog. See, sometimes we carry around images of ourselves that look like a dead dog. We call ourselves names. I'm going to tell you something. The next time you call yourself something, whether you go, man, I'm so stupid. I'm so dumb. I want you to catch yourself the moment you do that and go, would you like that to be the real case? If it's not, just retract that. Just denounce that right there on the spot and say, no, I've got the mind of Christ. I'm the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But I think everybody can deal with Lodabar. I think we've all been in dry places, arid places at one time or another, even in our Christian walks. And oh, to hear the words of the king, I'm telling you, he's whispering that, he's shouting that from the rooftops at all times. Come to my table and dine continuously with me. Through this series of messages, it has been my delight. It has been my joy. It's been my honor. It's been my privilege to serve chicken soup to the souls of them that have spent a prolonged period of time living in Lodabar. I'm talking about people that have lived under the heaviness. They've lived under the weight. They've lived under the pressure. You hear me say it all the time of guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation, and it has crippled their walk. Friends, I'm telling you, you want to know a way to cripple your car? Just drive around with a load of bricks in the trunk and it won't take very long. You'll tear up the suspension on that car. You'll cripple that car. And when you think about us carrying weights that we were not designed to carry, remember that song we were singing, Come Bring It All to Him? When we carry around things we have not been designed by God to carry, it cripples our walk. And once it cripples that, it begins to cripple our speech, our talk, our communication. It begins to cripple the way we think. We see ourselves as a dead dog when we are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. We're the holiness of God. We're the wisdom of God. We're the sanctification of God. We're the redemption of God. 
That's the way you got to see yourself. It's the way I see myself. You see, when a person carries around the weight of these culprits, you know what it does? It adds a tremendous stress to their lives. How many of you felt stressed before? You've been under stress. It can show up in a heartbeat, can it? You cannot be in stress one moment. Suddenly, one little thing can put you into a stressful mode. When we find ourselves in stressful situations, it makes it near impossible for us to find rest. We're just kind of antsy. We're walking around. We're wringing our hands. We're biting our lips. People do different things. I get it. And you know what you, you begin to do when you get wearied? You always begin to look for a word from somebody else. I've had friends like that call me up and say, Mark, can you give me a word? Can you give me a word? Can you give me a word? I'm happy to give words. But friends, I'm telling you, it will mean a million times more to you if you'll dig it out of the word yourself. If you'll listen to Papa himself, it doesn't take much. A little bit goes a long way. Sometimes it's just one little word from daddy. That's all you need. That gives you all the strength and all the energy you could ever imagine, and you're off and on your way. I've seen that happen not only in my own life, but other people's lives over and over again. But guess what? When you get wearied and you get beaten down and you've been carrying this load too long, guess what? You get to the point where you don't even have the energy you don't even have the desire to go dig it out of the Word. There's nothing left in you. You're spent. People can get that way. Did you know that when the human body is under stress, it releases hormones? And two of the most powerful hormones that the body releases are cortisol and adrenaline. These are powerful hormones. Now, it's important to understand that these hormones are God-given. They just didn't show up in the fall of Adam. These hormones were put in you when God designed you because he said, there's going to be times you're going to need those. You're going to need cortisol dripping into your bloodstream. You're going to need adrenaline dripping into your bloodstream. So initially, when they show up, they show up as good Samaritans in the sense that they are designed to help us in our time of need. That's what they're there for. When we find ourselves in a fight or flight situation, cortisol and adrenaline serve and help us concentrate better. Do you understand something? The human body, when it's seeping those two hormones, it puts that human body on high alert. It's like radar. It has this ability to fine-tune an atmosphere, fine-tune this room. That's what it can do. Cortisol and adrenaline increase our ability to react to something. It increases our ability to respond to us. And adrenaline will give us the strength. We can do things when that hormone is dripping in us that we could never possibly do any other time. Cortisol and adrenaline are responsible for the sudden increase in our heart rate and our blood pressure. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that? Someone walks up behind you and scares you. What is the first thing you do? You don't grab your eyeball, do you? You grab your heart. You don't grab your finger. You don't grab your toe. You grab the heart. You go like this. You know why? Because your heart is so smart. It knows something just invaded the bloodstream. What is this? It knows what it is. Oh, that's just cortisol. Oh, that's just adrenaline. 
our heart is aware that something just began to seep into it. I'll tell you what it is. It's those two hormones I'm talking about. Our immune system and even our memory becomes sharper when these chemicals are released. Now, all of this sounds so positive, doesn't it? So why not just turn on the spigot and let this stuff flow by the gallons? And I asked the Lord that question last night. Why not just do that, Daddy? He talks to me in word pictures. You know that by now, right? And here's what he said to me last night. He said that, that would be like replacing a perfectly good tire with your donut tire. The spare tire is called a donut because it's just a small tire and it's shaped like a little donut, right? But did you know that when you put the donut tire on your car, your manual in that car will say, do not drive over 50 miles an hour and do not drive more than 50 miles at all. Because if you do, you take the chance, you take the risk of tearing up something more important on that car, like its transmission. And I've seen that in my manuals before. And I used to always think, why? What's, what's the big deal? How does it know what tires on the car? I'm telling you, it knows. Like the heart knows cortisol, like the heart knows adrenaline. It knows. Friends, in the same manner, cortisol and adrenaline are made for emergencies and not for constant use. The prolonged drip of cortisol and adrenaline or even condemnation can cause great damage to our bodies and our souls. You say, Pastor Mark, what is your point? Cortisol and adrenaline are dispensed when we are under tremendous stress. And here's my point. Nothing adds stress to a believer's life more than condemnation. Nothing will stress you out more than condemnation. Eliminate condemnation and you will eliminate stress. In the absence of stress, our God-given hormones are not designed to bring harm to us. Does that make sense so far? I'm trying to lay this foundation so you can see this. Science tells us the stress hormone cortisol, listen to me carefully, scientists, the Mayo Clinic, whatever it means, science will tell you that the hormone cortisol is public health enemy number one. Scientists have known for years, I want you to see this now, they have known for years that elevated cortisol levels interfere with learning and memory. Elevated cortisol levels lower immune function and bone density. Elevated cortisol levels increase weight gain, increase blood pressure, increase cholesterol, increase heart disease, chronic stress and elevated cortisol levels also increase a person's risk for depression and mental illness. Friends, let me cut to the shorter list of the side effects. Elevated cortisol levels lowers a person's life expectancy. That's why Jesus would say, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What was Jesus saying? He said, I'm not seeping cortisol all the time. I'm not seeping adrenaline all the time. So I don't have these things as enemies in my body, overloading me, bringing on all these side effects, because I'm trusting in my daddy. I'm listening to what my daddy says. I'm listening to my father and I don't have anything to worry about. 
I think the closest that we saw him worrying about anything, being concerned about anything maybe, is in the Garden of Gethsemane when the Bible says his sweat became like drops of blood. The capillaries next to the skin began to burst because he was under such pressure, not condemnation, but pressure, intense pressure, not condemnation. He had done no wrong. I don't think a man, I don't care what you're dying for, would want to get nailed to a cross. I don't care what the reason is. Who would want to get nailed to a cross? And the capillaries began to burst and seep out the very pores of his skin. That's why his sweat became like drops of blood. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, how many of you have seen this scripture before? It says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Isn't that a great scripture? I believe that scripture is true. I really do. I believe that people that are joyful and they laugh a lot, I believe they live longer, to be honest with you. I really do. And someone that's all crushed in so many ways, I, I think it takes their life early. One of the best ways to shut off the constant drip of cortisol is through laughing. And now when I say laughing, I'm talking about deep belly laughing. I'm not talking about some little chuckle, some little courtesy laugh. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about deep, hearty belly laughing where you can't stop and you're begging the person, no, stop. You ever had that happen before? Your gut just hurts. It feels like you've done about a thousand sit-ups. Deep belly laughing is so good for you, friends. Have you ever noticed that there are certain people that you can get around and they just make you laugh all the time, don't they? And you love being with them. You want to know why? It's because without you knowing it, when you walk away, you feel better. Your body is releasing stuff that makes you feel better in the presence of someone like that. And the writer of Proverbs right here is telling us, he's saying that a merry heart, I think in some versions, he's saying a joyful heart in some versions. He says, does good like a medicine. Now, I want you to see some of the benefits of laughing, okay? And when I say this, I'm talking about research has proven this. Laughter reduces levels of stress hormones such as cortisol, epinephrine, and dopamine. These are hormones that should be released only in emergencies. And so what laughter does, laughter is like a Pac-Man, and it sees dopamine, it sees epinephrine, it sees cortisol, and it comes and it begins to eat it up. At the same time, though, see, laughter has this dual purpose. It's one, sweeping the junk out of your trunk. Number two, it's putting treasures in your trunk, you see? Because at the same time, laughter increases health-enhancing hormones, things like endorphins and neurotransmitters and infection-fighting antibodies. These healthy hormones improve blood flow to the heart, like I was talking about a minute ago, and they result just really in better mood, better relaxation, just better all-positive outlook. One of the dangers that we are facing today comes through quarantines and social distancing. You see, it stands to reason that if we spend less time together, we spend less time laughing together. Therefore, what we do is we lose one of the God-given helpers that God has given us. The helper is laughter. You say, Pastor Mark, you have explained the hormone cortisol as both a good Samaritan and a robber. 
How can they be both? That's a good question. How can they be both? I'll tell you how they could be both. You see, a couple of Tylenols can be a great help to us if we're in pain. But an entire bottle of Tylenol will drive your liver into failure and ultimately take your life. Something that is so good for you in a sense can be so bad for you at the same time. More of a good thing is not always better. Cortisol is a good Samaritan when released, like I said before, during a fight or flight moment, but it is a robber when a person is stuck in fight or flight mode. And I'm telling you, I see people that are stuck in that mode. They are living life in fight or flight. Life is just always a battle. You know, I've talked to people, you know, they answer the phone. How are you doing today? Oh, you know, I'm surviving. That's fight or flight. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you've heard it too. You've heard them say different things. You can tell when they're not, not too good, man. And then they want to tell you everything that's wrong, you know, fight or flight mode. The problem with performance-based religion Listen to me carefully. We never need to perform like a circus horse before our daddy. See, a circus horse knows one thing. Just keep running in circles around the track. And it loves, I suppose, when the, the crowd cheers and the snap of the whip and everything and, and all the lights and the fancy sounds. It probably likes that. I don't know. But we never need to perform to please Papa. Never. So the problem with performance-based religion, performance-based relationship with God, and fear and condemnation is that any one of those things or all of those things will keep us in fight-or-flight mode. Therefore, we have this constant seeping of cortisol. When people are constantly dealing with guilt and shame and fear, and condemnation, it's like hanging an IV bag of cortisol on their heart. It robs them of their ability to live life and see good days. Not only is a cheerful heart a good medicine for our souls, but so is the revelation of grace and truth. Grace restores our walk and talk. Grace and truth move us out of the desolate land of Lodabar and relocate us to green pastures. Grace and truth restore our laugh that doeth the heart good like a medicine. Grace and truth deposit a word, a communication, if you will, on the inside of us that shuts off the drip of cortisol. I'm speaking from experience. Grace and truth set the table with chicken soup, even in the midst of our enemies. You see, friends, enemies are not always people. See, we always think it's the devil, it's the people, it's flesh. Oh, enemies can show up all kinds of ways. I'm going to tell you some of the greatest enemies of God, and that's guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation. They are great enemies. And through this series, I've wanted to throw a life preserver to those who feel like they're about to go under. I've wanted to extend a hand to those who feel like they have fallen and can't get up. I want to pour wine and oil over the emotional wounds from people's past. I want to put a tourniquet around bleeding hearts. I want to give oxygen. I want to put oxygen in the nostril of those who just can't feel like they can breathe under the weight of guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation. Today, I am adding the fourth message to this series as I minister for just a few more minutes this morning through a message I'm calling, listen to me carefully, 
perfectly cleansed. That is today's message. Now, when I look at those two words and you chain them together, they kind of sound a little bit like an oxymoron when you first hear them. I mean, come on. Perfectly cleansed? I mean, Lysol only takes away 99.9% .9 of all the germs, bacteria, and viruses. How can I be perfectly cleansed? Friends, we are not 99.9% .9 cleansed from our sin. We are perfectly cleansed. We were not 99.9% .9 crucified with Christ. We were completely crucified with Christ and perfectly cleansed. Completely and perfectly. When we first come to Jesus in an instant, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, and we are perfectly cleansed. When we arise the following morning, the morning after salvation, guess what? You are still forgiven. You are still perfectly cleansed as you were the day before. One week from that day, one month from that day, one year from that day, 10 years from that day, a lifetime from that day, you will still be perfectly forgiven and perfectly cleansed. That's the blood of Christ dripping in your heart. The Bible says he remembers our sin no more. What part of that don't we get? I'm passionate about this, friends. Come on. He remembers our sin no more. Please, man. You know what? People will still fight you on that. Listen, I get it if you want to fight me, if they were my words, but they're in the Bible. He has separated our sins, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. He has cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up again. We are perfectly cleansed in his heart, in his eyes, his life. And so I understand, I get it. I totally get it. I understand it's a hard thing for people to see themselves perfect in Christ. You want to know why? Because we don't live in a perfect world. We don't have perfect bodies. Everybody can find something wrong with their body. I mean a model. A model that walks down a red carpet runway, they'll tell you what's wrong with their body. Everybody, no, we don't have perfect bodies. We don't think perfect thoughts. We don't have perfect words. We don't have perfect actions. And so we get used to living in imperfection. But I'm telling you this morning, emphatically based upon daddy's word, you are perfect in Christ. You have been perfectly cleansed. Friends, our imperfections have been around since Adam, since the time he sinned in the garden but in our spirits. See, that's the part you've got to separate. Not your actions. Your actions are not your spirit. In our spirits, we are perfectly cleansed. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus encounters less than perfect people. They were imperfect back then. On one occasion, he encountered a man with a dying daughter and a woman that had been tormented with an issue of blood. This little girl's father was tugging at Jesus' heart and this uh, woman with the issue of blood was tugging at Jesus' robe. They were both tugging, friends. What was Jesus' response to them in their time of need? I'll tell you what his response was. He healed them. One he raised from the dead, the other one he stopped the blood. He healed them. Friends, the young girl and the adult woman needed more that day than just belly laughter. 
They needed more sustenance than a bowl of chicken soup. They needed something that was more effective than a can of Lysol. They needed Christ. They needed Jesus to show up. And fortunately for them, he was walking through. They needed Christ. They needed his power. They needed his love. They needed his throne of grace that they could come to in their time of need. We see the story unfold in Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading earnestly with him. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus did not respond to Jairus because Jairus fell on his knees. That had nothing to do with it. If Jairus would have just pulled up a chair and sat down, if Jairus would have laid on his back, if Jairus would have stood on one leg, if Jairus would have turned and talked to somebody facing the other way, it didn't matter. He came to Jesus. That's what's important. The Bible says he pleaded earnestly with him. That means sincerely. That means passionately. He's pleading with Christ. Can you see the heart of a daddy? Come on, I'm a daddy. My kids were little at one time too, right? And there's just nothing you won't do for your kids, nothing you won't do for your grandchildren. And he knows he's seen sickness. He lives in a sick world, Jairus does. And he's seen sickness and he's seen it rob families of little children. The average life expectancy wasn't very old back then. And so what would be his words out of his mouth? He said, these words, he said, my little daughter is dying. He didn't even need to add the adjective little. Sometimes we do that so we can draw more compassion from somebody. My poor neighbor, my little daughter. No, if he would have left that adjective out, it wouldn't have made any difference. The fact that his daughter was dying. He said, my little daughter is dying. He said, please come. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. I mean, how could he say no? <laughs> he's full of grace and truth. Of course he's going to go with Jairus. It says a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. I find it ironic that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. It's not part of my message. But about the time that little girl was born, she started hemorrhaging. It's been a long time. In one case, it's just a little daughter. In other case, it's a big mess. It doesn't matter what you bring to Christ. She had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, many physicians, and she had spent all she had. She was busted. She was broke. She had spent all her savings. Her money was gone. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Well, that still sounds like today in a way sometimes, right? I'm thankful for doctors. But instead of getting better after spending all this money and running from physician to physician, doctor house, doctor house, she got worse. Here's a woman as I look at the story. 12 years, this woman has desperately waited for two men and a truck to come along and move her out of the desolate land of Lodabar, but man had failed her. She had more than a menstrual cycle. 
she had a menstrual circle in the fact that it just didn't seem like it ever wanted to end, if you get my point. Every day for this woman was fight or flight. Every day, cortisol is dripping on the inside of her. Every day, condemnation and guilt and shame and fear are just running rampant on the inside of her emotions. She was exhausted by the constant seeping, not only of blood, but of the hormone cortisol. She was under condemnation. Surely, I must have done something wrong. I must have done something to bring this on myself, she must have thought. She couldn't find a green pasture to lie down in. She received no good word from her physician and she was too unclean to communicate with the townspeople. Doesn't that sound like Lodabar? No pasture, no word, no communication. She was anemic. Oh, she needed a bag of blood. She needed a bag of iron. I watched my mama go through this stuff when she was seeping on the inside and doctors couldn't locate where the seeping was coming from. And she would get so weak after losing so much blood and I would have to take her to the doctors and they would put one or two bags of blood up there and then they would say, Donna, Donna, you need some iron as well. We're gonna have to infuse you with iron. Can you imagine? Here's a woman who's been seeping blood, gushing blood maybe at times for 12 years It never shuts off it's a continuous circle and cycle she's anemic she's exhausted she was depleted she was crippled in her walk and talk and she had conceded that living life and seeing good days was no longer in her future and that's what happens sometimes when people have been bombarded for so long and they get blindsided continuously. And they just kind of give up in a sense. And just, they just concede, I'll never live life and see good days. Oh, you will in Jesus, friends. You will when you come to Jesus. But Jesus would come along and he would turn her mourning into dancing. Jesus would bring beauty out of her ashes. Jesus would put a well on the inside of her that would nurture her body and water her wearied soul. He would put all that right on the inside of the woman. How do I know? She felt something. She'll tell you here in just a minute. When that blood stopped, she felt it inside of her body. Let's continue in the scriptures. But when, I love that, but when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him. See, I told you, it didn't matter if you come up in front of him, you come up from the side, or you come up from behind him. The fact that you come to Jesus is what's important. And the Bible says she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment because she thought, if I just touch his garment, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. Watch this. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So let me ask you a question. What would make this woman with the issue of blood even think that just by touching his garment, by touching the hem of his robe, that she could be healed? Where would she come up with a crazy thought like that? That had never happened before. There was no precedence for such a thing. Where would such confidence come from? You see, friends, she trusted in Jesus' reputation 
of goodness and grace. She was trusting in Jesus' reputation of power and perfection. She had been afflicted for 12 years. She had spent her entire savings and she was repeatedly disappointed by the reality that her physicians couldn't help her find her way out of Lodabar. Yet she realized everyone that came to Jesus was instantly and perfectly cleansed. Guess what? Without cost. Friends, that's the message of grace. Everybody is cleansed that comes to Jesus without cost. It doesn't cost you anything. Now I want you to park a ribbon in your mind for just a second. Because as I was meditating on that last night, the Holy Spirit took me over to Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 1 and 2. Look at these words. I love that. Look at the invitation. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And then he says, listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fair. Isaiah's scriptures right here are a foreshadowing, a type and shadow, if you will, of the new covenant of grace. You see, we all had an issue of blood at one time because we were all born with Adam's blood. Isaiah's invitation is to all. Jesus' sacrifice was for all. Everyone is invited to come to living waters. The only criteria are that you have to be thirsty and you have to come without money. You don't need money because salvation is not for sale. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You come to him because you have a need. You come to him because you're thirsty. You come to him because you know that in him lies salvation and in him alone. In Christ Jesus alone. For 12 excruciating years, the tumbleweeds had blown across the barren body of this woman. The woman with the issue of blood had been considered unclean. She couldn't go grocery shopping. She couldn't go to her little kids' PTA meetings. She couldn't attend weddings. She couldn't attend funerals. You want to know why? Because when you were on the menstrual cycle, you were considered unclean. You had to stay in the house. But, I love that, but when she touched Jesus, everything changed. And the issue of blood ceased. You could say it this way. She was perfectly cleansed. Uh, not 99.9% .9 cleansed, perfectly cleansed. Jesus did so much more than just give her a bowl of chicken soup for the soul. He shut off the leaking faucet of blood and cortisol and adrenaline and hopelessness and condemnation. Jesus is still doing that today, friends. Can't you see that? Through his precious blood, he has closed the account that once held our sins. He's closed it. He has moved us from the land of Lodabar to the land of living through the revelation that you and I have been perfectly cleansed. The damaging hormones of cortisol and condemnation, body and soul, health enemy number one, have been shut off for good, disconnected. We can laugh again. We can have merry hearts again. 
We can rejoice again. We can celebrate again. We can live life and see good days again. Our bodies can release endorphins. Our bodies can release neurotransmitters. Our body can release infection-fighting antibodies that improve blood flow to our heart, all resulting in greater relaxation and resistance to disease, as well as it just changes our mood. It puts us in a better mood. It gives us a better outlook on life. Friends, under the new covenant of grace, our load of our days have been served in eviction notice. The expiration date on our soulish chaos has come and went. Our no pasture, no word, no communication days, our history, we have been perfectly cleansed. Continuing in the scriptures, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. That's when the lady touched him with the issue of blood. Jesus realized, see how in tune he is? See how sensitive he is to our needs? Friends, he's still that way. He realized, oh, something just happened here. Somebody got a hold of me with faith. I felt something in my own body. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Who touched my robe? Who touched my garment? And then his disciples got all religious. <laughs> they said, come on, Jesus. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples said, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at Jesus' feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, I love these words. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. That does not mean that she was a Christian before she touched him. Friends, we're talking about pre-cross here, right? Christians aren't running around like they're running around today. Jesus has not been crucified yet. But what he was looking for is people who will put their faith in him. And she expressed exactly that. And that's why he could call her daughter. Kind of like when the paralytic was lifted down through the opening in the roof. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that awesome? Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Let me ask you a couple of questions here. Come on, be honest with me now. Just think about your answers. Was the woman with the issue of blood, I'm going to give you two options, okay? 99.9% .9 cleansed, there's one, or was she perfectly cleansed? Come on, man. You're good listeners. When Jesus cleansed the lepers, did he take away 99.9% .9 of their spots, or were they perfectly cleansed? When Jesus healed the blind man, did he have to go get glasses? No, he had perfect eyesight. That would not make sense to let a man see and then give him bad eyesight, Mr. Magoo eyesight. No, 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 he was perfectly cleansed. This is the power of Christ. This is grace at work. This is the goodness of God. The answer is the same. And I, friends, I mean, I had so many examples come into my heart, come into my mind. But then I thought, you know what? 
At the time, I thought the Packers were playing today, and I thought I better let you out of church early today. And then I didn't find out till this morning that they played yesterday. Otherwise, we could have been here till one or two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> I don't know how to take that, that we're not here till one or two o'clock in the afternoon, or praise God that, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to take all that. Look at the next scriptures. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. Remember, this is all happening on one road. This is all happening in just a moment. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, with the news. Here's the news. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, I love these words. Don't be afraid. Just believe. He was saying, Jairus, this is not time for cortisol to start dripping in your life. This is not time for adrenaline to start flowing rampant in your life. I'm telling you, just believe. Friends, that's salvation. That is daddy's covenant with us. Don't be afraid. Just believe. It's all he's called us to do. Just believe. Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And that's who he wanted with him when he entered the bedchamber of this little girl's house, okay? Friends, the new covenant of grace is built upon faith in Jesus. That's why Jesus told Jairus in these scriptures, don't be afraid, Jairus, just believe. By placing our faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, he leads us out of Lodabar and into green pastures. He gives us a blood transfusion that will never leak again. You'll never need another one. And he frees us from the needless suffering that unbelief and condemnation bring. Next scriptures. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. <laughs> oh man, that's a, that's a hard one to understand. You just laughed at Jesus. Jesus just told you something and you laughed at him. In other words, they ridiculed him. They scorned him in a sense. It's not just like a, a nervous laugh. They laughed with unbelief. And that's exactly why Jesus put him out. He's not being mean here. He's not being mean-spirited, but he doesn't need unbelief in this room. So what does he do? It says, after he put them all out. He just put all the unbelief out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. I like this. Hear the drum roll. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, Come, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Little girl, I say to you, arise. I'm telling you what, when Jesus speaks, it has to happen. 
There's no unbelief in him. He said, Talitha Kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. Next scriptures. Immediately, kind of like the woman with the issue of blood, immediately, something began to change on the inside of the body. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. There it is. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. She gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So let me ask you some questions, friends, about this. Did Jesus bring the dead girl back to 99.9% .9 life? Of course not. She was perfectly cleansed from rigor mortis. Have you ever grabbed a hold of anybody that's passed? It doesn't take long, friends, for the stiffening to set in. I held my little son when he died, and I know within just minutes I was holding a stiff little body. And at the same time, I was listening to that little body just gurgle. And when Jesus touched her by the hand and said, Arise, rigor mortis had no choice. It had to leave her body. Blood had to start flowing again through all the veins and the arteries and the capillaries. The heart suddenly said, whoa, this is better than cortisol. This is better than adrenaline. What just happened? Talitha Kum just happened. I say to you, little girl, arise. Did J. Iris' little daughter have to go to a nursing home for rehabilitation? Absolutely not. She stood up and walked around. Let me see. Are, are you able to walk okay? <laughs> that, you don't need rehabilitation. Are you able to eat something? <laughs> you don't need rehabilitation. You are just fine. Did she require any further treatments, any follow-up visits, any antibiotics, any prescriptions? No. No, sir. No, ma'am. She was perfectly cleansed from death. And you and me, us and we, we have been perfectly cleansed from death. We may physically die, but we go from life to more life. We never really see death. It's like someone has just pulled a shade and we're suddenly in a different dimension. That's all it is. We go to, from life to life everlasting. She was perfectly cleansed from death. How did her resurrection happen, you ask? Listen to me carefully. It's so simple. A word. A communication from Jesus into her lifeless body lifted her out of the graveyard of Lodabar and planted her in green pastures. Talitha Kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. In the Gospel of John, we meet yet another desperate woman. The tumbleweeds of Lodabar have been blowing across her barren soul for a long time. These are some of my last scriptures. John chapter 8, I love this story, verses 1 through 11. One of my favorite narratives of the entire Bible. It's got a lot of talking points, but I don't want to make them today. I'll just make a couple. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. He was having church, friends. 
the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, see, that's all they know. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Who cares what he was writing? That's not important, friends. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, he was saying, any one of you that have never sinned a day in your life, go ahead and kill her. And that's why they had to drop their stones. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left and the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replied. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. He wasn't telling her to be on her best behavior. He was empowering her to be able to live a life beyond this nonsense, beyond this sinful nonsense. Let me ask you some questions. Is the woman that's in this narrative guilty? I would have to say yes. She was caught in the very act of adultery. Is she guilty? Yes. Is she feeling shame? Of course she is. Yes, she's feeling shame. She's standing in the temple court before the entire group. He has brought this woman to church, and I believe, it doesn't say it, but I believe she's standing there without clothes because they caught her in the very act of adultery. They didn't say, put on your clothes. We need to go somewhere. They would have dragged her kicking and screaming from that home out there just, just the way they found her to help validate this is how we found her in the very act. So is she feeling shame? Absolutely, she's feeling shame. No question about it. Is she fearful? Well, of course. She has seen more than one person, no doubt, stoned over the course of her lifetime. And the Pharisees are holding stones, so she knows that her life is about to be taken. Remember, I keep telling you about guilt and shame and fear and condemnation. She's experiencing all of these, but when it came to condemnation that day, does she stand condemned? Only by the Pharisees, but not by Jesus. Had Jesus not been present, there would have been a wooden cross in the ground that day marking her burial. I want you to make note that Jesus does not deal with her guilt. He does not deal with her shame. He does not deal with her fear. He deals with the deepest root, the very core of the problem, the root that all these other emotional experiences grow up and out of. That root is condemnation. That's what he deals with that day. 
Jesus sends the Pharisees away with a word and with a communication. It was more than just a word. It was a word that bit them right in the heart. It was a word that they said, oh, I see what you're saying. I got the revelation of this. He sent her accusers away with a word and with a communication of the heart. And then he transports the woman caught in adultery from the barren land of Lodabar into a green pasture. I may ask the question all over again. Did Jesus forgive 99.9% of all of her sins? Did Jesus take away 99.9% of her condemnation? Did Jesus allow even one-tenth of one percent of her accusers to remain as condemners, as jury and judge? No, friends, she was perfectly cleansed that day. Perfectly cleansed. And when she left, she had this confidence, I can leave this life of sin. You've empowered me to do that. You trust me. You spared my life. You saved me. Isn't that your testimony too? He spared your life. He saved you. He saved you from the condemnation that is to come. He saved you from that fearful moment that is to come by falling into the hands of a God that you don't know. He did that by his blood on the cross, friends. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, my final scripture. I love this scripture. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. Friends, I want to tell you something. If you had to blot out every single scripture in the Bible, believe that one, that's good enough for me, friends. There is no condemnation. That word no right there comes from two words in the Greek, ude and heis, ude and heis form one word called Udais, which means not even one. There's not even one condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from this message today are these. As believers, we are not 99.99% forgiven. We are perfectly cleansed. Our sins and lawless deeds he remembers no more. Believers have been delivered from the graveyard of Lodabar, a desolate place, a place where there is no pasture, no word, and no communication. We have been delivered from death, and we have been delivered from the blood disorder that we carried. How were we delivered? <laughs> well, it wasn't two men in a truck. It was one man and a cross. That's how we were delivered, friends. We are forever seated at the table of our great King Jesus. Our King invites us to eat the bread that cannot be bought with money. He invites us to drink wine and milk without cost and to delight ourselves in the richest affair. At the table of Christ, we experience deep laughter because we know that we are loved. And we know that we are accepted in the beloved. So what it does is it brings a joy to our heart. And joy must always be accompanied with laughter. It's the outward expression of joy. That's what laughter is. We know that we are safe from our enemies. 
In the midst of deep laughter, our bodies are releasing the health-enhancing hormones of endorphins and neurotransmitters and infection-fighting antibodies. A cheerful heart doeth good like a medicine. Not only is a cheerful heart good medicine for our bodies and souls, but so is the revelation of grace and truth. I'm talking about the grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ, the shepherd of our souls. I'm talking about the shepherd who loves to be touched. His response is always the same. Son, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Be freed from guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation. Be freed from the barren land of Lodabar. Be freed from your Mephibosheth mindset that crippled your walk. Be freed from stress. Be freed from your hard and lonely places. Be freed from the excuse of, I've fallen and I can't seem to get up. Hear the words of the Lord, Talitha Kum, little girl, I say to you, arise, get up. Be freed from the emotional trauma and wounds from your past. Be freed in Christ. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Where are thine accusers? Where are they that condemn you? I'll tell you where they are. They were left behind in Lodabar. Hear the words from our Lord Jesus Christ. Neither do I condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus to them who have been perfectly cleansed in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I want to praise you and I want to thank you. I'll stand on the scriptures, Daddy. We are not 99.9% .9 forgiven. We are perfectly cleansed. And because of that, Father, it makes the heart merry to know something like that. Just to know that you're not counting my sins against me. I can live life and see good days. My body can release endorphins and neurotransmitters. Father, I want to thank you and I want to praise you, Father, that we don't have to do anything to perform to please you. Whether we come up before you or from behind you, your answer is always the same. You're not looking for which way we approach you. You're looking for faith. Faith in the finished work of the cross. That's what this revelation of grace is about. It's about faith in Jesus' shed blood. It's about the grace that you poured out in abundant measure. <laughs> Father, I so praise you. I so thank you, Father, that our Mephibosheth days are history. They're not just on a shelf that we'll pick up somewhere else. They are history. Because the revelation that you have finished the work has dripped into our hearts. That transfusion has taken place and we are perfectly cleansed. In Jesus' name, amen.